0: to verse number 8. We're in Luke chapter 18, and I'll begin reading in verse number 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Together in verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, as we read those verses, I think there's a lot of things we can draw from. We're not going to draw everything that's out of there. But we get to the last verse. It is a peculiar verse. I tell you, verse 8, he will avenge them speedily. Well, that... Part is good, but notice the end of that verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I don't know about you, but every time I've read that since I was a teen, maybe even before that, I've been trying to read my Bible since I was about eight, but consistently since I was a teenager. Every time I read that, I always thought, How how could that be? How could Jesus show up and not be any faith? Well, here's what's happened. I've grown into adulthood. I'm no longer a teenager. I I know it's hard to believe, but I'm no longer a teenager. and I I think I understand that verse a little bit better. Uh, A lot of people talk a good talk. But faith is much more than talk. There's a substance to it. There's some evidence to it. And I wonder when Jesus shows up, how many talkers are going to be left behind. That's an interesting thought. But that's not where we're preaching from. We're preaching from how it begins, verse 1, He spake a parable unto them to this end. This is the purpose, this is the reason for the parable, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And Prayer and endurance. Let's pray, and we'll get into the message. Father, I pray now that you speak to our hearts. I pray personally, Lord, maybe selfishly, Lord, I pray that you help my mind my heart, Lord, to stay upon the task before me. Uh, Lord, I don't mind going down side trails and and sometimes stopping and looking at the site that where we're at. but Lord, I don't want to just chase rabbits for the sake of chasing rabbits. I don't want to get uh, um, confused or cloudy in my mind and not be clear in what I'm trying to say. So I pray for your help. Uh, Lord, I, I admit my, my shortcoming, my, my insufficiency. And Lord, I admit my need for you. I pray that you'd help me this morning. Bless those who are here, Lord. They're, I'm thankful for them. Uh, but Father, without you, this is a waste of time, and so we pray you help us to be blessed hearers, that we hear the Word of God and apply it to our lives. And we ask for these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I'm wont to do, and when we start a new series, I take a moment and I try to introduce this series to you, and maybe it, there's no need for it other than my own way my brain functions, but I, I, I think it's important again in my functioning in my brain that we kind of set a path a set a direction we kind of you know say here's what we're trying to accomplish in this series and we try to stay at it so that we kind of know as we're going through the series what we're trying to accomplish now the goal of this particular series on prayer is now watch is not to teach you how to pray We we preach on series like that we've taught on things like that whether wednesday night or Or maybe a series of Sunday School lessons. We've preached a series of messages. In fact, we've used this text and different messages on how to pray. And there are some how to pray in this, but that's not the, the direction we're going this morning. The goal is not to teach how to pray, but to encourage us to pray. And so my goal this morning is not simply to give you step one, step two, step three, this is how you pray. My goal is saying, here's why we should be praying. Here's encouragement to pray. Here's reason to pray. In essence, if you boil it down to prayer is asking. That's really what prayer is, if you give a a very simple definition, prayer is asking. And I think this morning, regardless of the age of the person, we know how to ask. And if we know how to ask, you know how to pray. You learned it as a kid, when you went to your parents and you wanted something from them. My my guess is this you did not go to your mom and dad and say, Oh thou fathers and mothers of mine. Oh, thou who bearest me, oh, thou who works 40 hours a day, oh, thou who put a roof over my head and, 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 and puts a bed in my room. What's that? 40 hours a day. 40 hours a day. Yeah. 40 hours. You didn't, you didn't ask in that manner. You just said, Mom, Dad, here's what I need. Now, I, I, there should be a respectfulness, obviously, when we pray, a reverence. He is God. He does hold our breath in his very hand. He spoke a universe new existence. There should be, I, I, I don't go to him and say, hey, big guy in the sky, you know, slide me five on the side. Okay, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying be. This is a serious sermon. So we're preaching this, this series on prayer. So here's what I'm trying to say. Let me, let me try to corral this back together. So here's what I'm trying to say. Most of us know how to pray. Most of us know how to voice a request to the Lord. Now when it comes to prayer, obviously there are better ways to ask. I'm not, I'm not, I understand that, and I'm not, and we've taught again, preached on that. And there are better things to ask for, and that is true as well. But one of my truisms, I think, when it comes to prayer is a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. when He said this, The secret to praying is praying in secret. Just do it. The reason we don't have answers to prayer is because we don't really pray. We don't really seek the Lord and ask. Now, it is true that we can learn how to pray better, but first, we've got to start praying. You can't pray better if you don't pray at all so that's the direction of the series itself now for this particular message now we're shifting gears and coming back to our text and talking about this particular these particular verses here When we get to our text in luke chapter 18 it's very easy to understand what he's trying to teach because he tells us up front kind of like what we did a moment ago he's telling us up front this is the direction this is what we're trying to accomplish in this parable verse one he spake a parable unto them to this end that Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, when he says faint, he's not talking about, you know, just someone who's passing out. That's not what it means. That word faint there means to be weakened or to be wearied. The idea you're tempted to stop. You're serving the Lord. You're maybe trying to follow the Lord and you're tempted to stop in those things. Because why? Because you aren't praying. You become faint. You become weakened. You become wearied. Now, why is he saying this? Well, this faintness that he's talking about is in connection with what he said earlier to them. So let's go back to Luke 17. Okay, so I'm trying to lay a foundation, so just bear with me. I'll be a little wordy to start with. So Jesus comes to them and says, you've got to pray, because if you don't pray, you're going to faint. But if you pray, you won't faint. And the idea of faint is to be weakened and wearied, and you stop, and, you, and you, you're not continuing ser- living for the Lord, serving the Lord, following the Lord. Now, he says that because he just taught them some things that he knew would weaken them. So he taught them some things in chapter 17, and then when he gets to chapter 18, he says, Now, if you're not going to faint, if you're not going to get weakened and wearied, then you better be praying because he knew, know the things, he knew the things he just taught them would cause them to faint. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to just look at Luke 17, uh, just one verse. You can read the whole chapter later if you want to. But I'll give you one verse to kind of give you the highlight or the, or, or the overall understanding of what's going on here. Look at verse 22, if you, if you will. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. So he begins telling them what's going to happen after his departure and saying, you're going you're to wish that the, son of, that the the Lord would return. You're, gonna, you're not going to like what's heading your way because he knew what was going to, about to happen. There's two sides to what he's talking about. There was, as in most prophecy, there's the near and the far. In the near term, the near fulfillment, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened about 40 years after his death, about 70 AD. And he knew what would happen. There would be a great persecution against believers, and then eventually the Romans themselves would come and destroy Jerusalem, burn down the temple. That's under Titus, I believe. And so he's telling them, it's going to come, it's going to be bad, it's going to get really, really bad. But you don't have to quit, you don't have to get faint, you don't have to be weary. You can make it. That was the near term. Now in the far term, he's looking in, in the, in, beyond just that one event and seeing, um, turn me down just a notch. I don't know if it's my ears or, or what it is, but I sound louder than normal. And, 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 and I feel like I've got to start whispering. I don't want to do that. So in the far term, he's talking about our life in general as believers and dealing with the world and dealing with all that we have to go through. And there's going to be times in our life we're going to say, How long, Lord? When are you going to return? Kind of like what we just preached about in, in the uh, End of the World series. Well, how, when are you going to come back? I'm tired of dealing with all this stuff in the world. And he's saying, even though it gets hard, even though it gets bad, even though it gets difficult, we don't have to stop. We don't have to. And now, again, there may be a weakening and a wearying, but there doesn't have to be a stopping because we can pray. In other words, regardless of the difficulty of living for Jesus, and if you, let me just stop for a second. If you really get sold out and live for Jesus, you're going to find not everyone likes that. Not every family member likes that. Not everyone at work likes that. Not all your siblings or your mom or your dad or your kids or your neighbors or your friends. You'll find out not everyone's going to be uh, happy that you're trying to be sold out and live for Jesus. Regardless of the difficulty of living for Christ, you can endure. You can do it. But it's going to require prayer. Without prayer, You cannot. You cannot live for Christ apart from Christ. You cannot live for Jesus without doing it through Jesus because Jesus is the strength and the ability and the power to do that. You cannot live for Christ apart from Christ. You must pray and seek Christ in order to endure in your life for Christ. And by the way, as a believer, you're supposed to. When you get to heaven, if if you quit and you've given up and you walked away and said, well, it's just too hard now. I can't live for Jesus now. That's not going to cut it when you face the Lord. Because the Lord's going to say, but you could have done it. I could have helped you. I could have strengthened you. I could have power. you. You could have been a testimony. You could have lived for me. But you didn't do it because you did not pray. So we can do it. We can live for Jesus. We can make it. We can endure. We don't have to give up. We don't have to turn back. We don't have to quit. And so Jesus uses this parable in Luke chapter 18, to encourage his disciples in the near term and to encourage us as believers in the far term. So, God, so Jesus uses his disciples to encourage us to pray in the midst of difficulties so that we can endure for him. Now within that context, we see three truths I want to share with you this morning about this idea about prayer and endurance. But We're going to call time out on the field we're going to stop for a moment. I'm, there's, there's a little side thing I need to make sure I explain. When I come to the Lord, okay, there's a a common prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really it's it's actually the Lord's teaching on prayer, but we, we, a lot of people just call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Ever. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of that. Notice the first two words of that prayer, our Father. Not everyone can pray that prayer. For God to be your Father, you must be born again. John 1 tells us this, To them that received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. One of the the great lies of Satan in, in the false religion of this world is that we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. God is the God of all people, that's true, but He's not the Father of all. We're only His child in this special, unique relationship when you come to Jesus Christ, and He comes in your heart, and you're born again. You're adopted into the family. Now you're His son. Now you're His daughter. That relationship becomes active when you put your faith in Christ alone. And because of that, I can go to Him and say, Our Father, I can say, Father, I need this, or Father, I I, I need help with this. And so my relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ allows me access in prayer. Now, if you do not know Christ as Savior, you say, well, does he hear my prayer? Here's a prayer he wants to hear. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He wants you to enter into that relationship with him. I'm not saying God does not take care of people who are not saved. He does. He's a gracious, kind, merciful God. God reigns on the just and the unjust. God blesses humanity with breath, with sun, sometimes with cold, with gravity, with all kinds of blessings because He's a good, gracious God. But if you want specific answers of prayer, the strength, the power to endure, the ability to live your life in the power of God and, and, and have a testimony for Christ, you need to enter into a relationship with Him when you become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. That initiates now this ability for a believer to go to the Lord in prayer and endure through the hard times of life. So again, let me give you now three specific truths, three specific applications from our text. So let's go back to Luke 18. I'll share the verses and I'll draw the truth or the application out of it. Luke 18, if you will, look with me at verse 3. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him. This would be the unjust judge that we see in verse 2. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Now drop down, if you will, to verse 5. Here's what the judge says. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then look at verse 7, if you will. And shall not God avenge his own elect? Which cry day and night unto them, though he bear along with them. He may not do it at that very moment, but he will do what is needed. That's the idea. So that brings us to our first. Again, these are encouragements to pray. Number one is this. It is God's job to vindicate his people. Now, in the context that we're talking about, this vindication, this, this, these attacks that we're talking about, this, this woman, this avenge me and my adversary, she's talking about what we would think about people maybe lying, maybe someone's trying to cheat us, maybe someone who's scheming against us. That's the kind of attack that, in the context we're talking about, this some, someone doing us wrong, and we can't do anything about it. it, it either they're using their power, their authority... Uh, uh, maybe some some means to bring hurt and pain into our life. We can't stop it. We don't have no way unless, you know, Lord, I can't shoot them even though I'm tempted. I can't just punch them in the head even though I'm tempted. Lord, I need your help. Lord, there's a problem here. That's the context that's going on. Now, I say that because he's not talking about someone breaking your house at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's, that's when you need gun control. You know, use two, hand, two hands and a good aim. And that kind of takes care of that problem. So we're talking about God vindicating His people. okay? And this idea that we're being attacked, being lied about, being cheated, being schemed. We don't have ability to stop it or to control it, and it's coming in our life. This is the Lord's job. Now give me a moment, let me stress, because you say, well, that's no big deal. It is a big deal, listen to me carefully. Satan... Would love for you, and I'm talking to a believer now, talking to believers. Satan would love for you to get caught up in defending yourself. What Satan wants to do, he wants to bring things in your life so you're caught up with all the things that's going on. This person's lying, this person's cheating me, this person's doing me wrong, this person stabbed me in the back. He wants you to get caught up in defending yourself against every attack, against every accusation, so you get so busy fighting people. You have no time to serve God. You spend all your life fussing with people and fighting with people and arguing with people and trying to deal with this situation, deal with this problem, and you you can't sleep at night and you're stressed out about this and you're stressed out about that. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray because you're, "I'm, I'm just too stressed out to read and pray. I can't even go to church. I'm just so caught up in all my problems. And that's exactly what Satan's trying to do. And what God is trying to say is, you're missing the boat because you, instead of being stressed out and, and fussing and, and frustrated, you ought to be praying and seeking the Lord's help in these things. Let me show you a verse here, Romans chapter 12. Recompense no man evil for evil. The idea is, they did you evil, you don't, you don't return evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, sometimes it isn't, because that's why it says if it be possible, as much as life in you, live Peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, watch this phrase, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, now watch what he says next. If thy enemy hunger, feed him. You don't want to do that. He says, because what we're going to say, good, I hope he starves. No, feed him. That's not, he's not doing me right, but it's not your job to fix it. The Lord will fix him. He's good at fixing people. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him; if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now look at verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now what does it wasn't mean. Don't be overcome with evil. The idea of overcome is getting the victory. What he's saying is, evil, now watch this statement. Okay, this is really the, the, the main statement of this point. Evil gets the victory when you fight evil in your own strength. When evil gets you so distracted that you're fighting evil. And by evil, I'm not talking about uh, 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 you know uh, um, perverted things out in the world. I'm talking about things that come in your life that's not right, that's not fair, that they're, they're mistreating you, they're doing you wrong, you're doing right, they're doing you wrong, and you want to respond because you don't like what they're doing. When evil comes in your life, and it gets you distracted so that you're all you're doing is fighting the evil, then the evil gets the victory when you're fighting the evil in your own strength. When you, now watch, when you do it yourself, apart from God, all you can do is think about it and, and, and focus on it, and you're so consumed with it, then evil wins. This is the goal of evil. Again, I said it earlier, I'm going to repeat what I said. Satan's plan is to get us so caught up in fighting whatever is against us that we get so caught up in the fighting that we forget or get distracted from actually serving the Lord. There are people who won't go to church, won't read the Bible, won't pray, Won't do anything for the Lord because all they're doing is they're so frustrated with what's going on in their life. Can I tell you? Satan has won the victory. Because that's what he's trying to do. To get you so caught up in those things that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You can spend your life trying to put out every little fire that people set. Or you can trust God who delivers us through the fire. That's your goal. That's your choice. Your choice is either, you can, you can, every, let me just, I I usually go over here when I'm going on a side, I don't know. This is like a side trail. So when I walk over here, you can kind of expect I'm going to go a little side trail. Let me ask you this. Why does it really matter what people say about you on social media? I I know believers, multitude believers, if something's posted on social media, it ruins their day. And they got to, I got to, I got to say something back. Why? Who cares? It is God's job to vindicate you. But we get so caught up in every little thing. We think, we think we need to respond to every little attack and get caught up in it and say, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they're saying this about me. I, I can't believe this is... And I know it hurts, and I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I'm not trying to be careless or callous about it. I'm just trying to say this in a way that would spur you to think. Who cares? It's the Lord's job to take care of you. It's not your job to fight every little, go out and try to, to, to quench every little fire. Think about the three Hebrew children. They tied them up with rope and threw them in the fire and said, oh, we got you. But they didn't understand they're dealing with a God who could burn the ropes off and bring them out of the fire and not even the smell of smoke to be on them. God can deliver you. Now, if all things, this is another little side trail on the other side. Now, if all things being equal continue as they are, We are heading, going forward, we're heading to a world that's more and more anti-Christ, and to a country that's more and more anti-Christ, to a culture that's more and more anti-Christ. And to live for Christ becomes harder and harder, and the days become darker and darker, but it does not matter, because he who sits on the throne of heaven can vindicate and take care of us. God is not saying, oh, I hope things don't get too hard down there. God has never been put to the limit, because God has no limit. There's no limit to what God can do. We have a God who can vindicate us, who can take care of us, who can see us through the fire. But this is going to require some serious heart-to-heart praying between you and God. See, we like the idea God can deliver us, But you need to get on your knees and say, Lord, you know what's happening. Lord, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to fight with them. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to phone and cuss them out. Why? Because my life is in your hands. Now, Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, see me through. Deliver me, whatever that means. I don't know exactly what that means, but whatever it means, deliver me through this. So the first thing we understand is that it is God's job to vindicate his people. This widow's job was not to take care of the adversary. This widow went to the person who could. Now, the judge in this case was an unjust judge. I'm not saying that God's unjust. You can't, if you you try to connect every little thing like that, you come up with some things that's not true in the Bible. So God is not saying he's unjust. What God is saying is, this woman had an adversary. She did not fight in her own flesh. She went to the person who was supposed to take care of it, and eventually that person took care of it. So we who have adversaries have someone who can take care of us, and that's who we're supposed to go to. We have a God who can vindicate us. That's the number one lesson. Let's go back now and look at it again. Back to chapter number 18. And this kind of just builds on that thought. Let's start in verse 2 and just read through again. There was in uh, in a city a judge, which, now watch, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. He ain't going to do it. Didn't want to do it. Didn't care about doing it. Had no desire to do it. He just wasn't going to do it. But she keeps asking. She keeps begging. And that's what we see. Verse 4. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. In other words, he's not doing this because he has this, you know, he doesn't, it's not a come to Jesus moment. This is, I'm tired of this woman bu- bugging me moment. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, "Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? So that brings us to our second thought. So number one, God will vindicate his people. Number two, here's our second: God can give you grace in the eyes of others." And the second reason we pray is because the Lord knows how to give us grace. In the eyes of others. Now this is a little shorter point, but it's a very critical point. Don't miss it. The judge said, I will avenge her. That's what the judge said. We read that. I will avenge her. The unjust judge said, okay, I will avenge her. But it wasn't the judge avenging her. This is what the Lord's trying to get across. The unjust judge, so this woman, put the woman on this side, this woman comes to the unjust judge and says, avenge me of my adversaries. And finally the unjust judge says, okay, I will avenge you. What the Lord is trying to get across is, the judge did not avenge her. God avenged her. God used a judge to do it. What was the change of heart? Well, he got tired of the woman. Well, that is the outward surface. But the Lord is saying, even if someone doesn't fear God, even if someone doesn't care about God, I can still use them to accomplish what I need in your life. We think this, that somehow God is handcuffed. Well, they don't believe in God, so they don't like God, and they hate God, so how can God deal with them? Because God is not handcuffed by man's lack of faith or lack of belief. God can work on behalf of His people. God can give you grace in the eyes of others, even if those people don't know they're doing it by the help or the, the movement of God. We're way too dependent on what we think about others and not... Dependent enough on what we think about the Lord. Now watch, let me try to drive this point home. God did not need the judge's permission. God did not need the judge's recognition. God worked through the judge, even if the judge did not know that God was working through him. This is a, I wish I could somehow use words to tell you, this is the wonderful thing we have as believers. That God can work through situations that are designed to hurt us, that bring out the best for us. This is what God can do. The best illustration I can point to is Calvary itself. This was the great design of Satan to destroy the work of God. I will crucify the Lord himself. Jesus Christ will die. We'll wipe out the whole work of God. But this was actually the means by which God has his greatest victory. Because when he came out of the grave, he was victorious over grave, over sin, over death, over Satan. And because of his victory, we can be victorious. That which was designed to be the end of Christianity was actually the whole hallmark of Christianity. And the Lord can do the same thing in your life. He is not somehow handcuffed because of the events or the situations or the hearts of people. God can work on our behalf and give us grace in the eyes of others. Our grace isn't based, and, and, and I'm saying this thinking about how the world is. If you watch news and you're thinking, oh man, it's getting crazier and crazier out there. Okay, our grace is not based on the world knowing or the world loving Jesus. Well, you know, the way the world's going, I don't know. God, is, okay, the world is going in the direction that I would prefer it not to go. But the world is not, the Lord is not handcuffed by how the world's going. Our grace is not based on the world knowing Jesus, even though we want them to know Jesus. And our grace isn't based on the world loving Jesus, even though we would prefer that. Rather, the grace that we need in our life is based on us knowing Jesus and us loving Jesus. This is what allows the Lord to work on our behalf. It would be nice, now watch, it would be nice if the world gave Jesus the recognition and praise that he deserves. But God can work through them, through the world, even if they don't. If you have a boss that's just a oh, pain in your neck, and you say, well, oh, that boss will get saved, my life would be easier. Well, that may be true, but the Lord doesn't need your boss to get saved to provide grace in your life. He can use your boss for your benefit, whether or not the boss wants to be used or not. God is not handcuffed by the unsaved world. I'm keep saying this because I talk to believers and somehow we think that God can't do anything because look how the world is. God is not handcuffed by this world. Now, if they don't come to Christ, they're gonna die and go to hell. I don't say it gladly. It's just that's just reality. That's Scripture. But for my personal life, I don't sit there and fret and worry. Someday I'm gonna die unless the Lord returns. I'm gonna die and I'm gonna go to heaven. And I'm not going to sit here and fret and worry. What what if I die today? I'm going to heaven. What if I die tomorrow? I'm going to heaven. What if I die in a week? I'm going to heaven. Okay, the end result, I'm going to heaven. So why am I worried about death? I'm not worried about death. And I'm not worried about how the world's going. Well, Pastor White, what if someday they they, they just come bust... (laughs) I shouldn't say this because now you're going to be all worried and fretful. What if someday they come busting in and shooting us because we're Christians? Then I'm going to go to heaven on that day. I'm not going to fret and worry about this world. I have a God in heaven... Who is bigger than this world? And if the Lord now watches, if the Lord wants something accomplished, He's not. He's not going to be stopped by what this world is doing. He's bigger than them. God can give us grace in the eyes of others, even if the others don't want to be used because God, they can't stop God. What God is doing. Let me show you a verse, a very, I think, famous verse, but maybe it'll help us drive this point home. Proverbs twenty-one-one says this: "The king's heart." is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, He, the Lord, turneth it, whithersoever He will. Back when I was uh, working at Long John Silver's, thank you, uh, back when I was working there, when I got hired, okay, and I'm all for working hard and being, having a good testimony at work. If you're getting paid, you ought to work. You know, you're not not getting paid to stand around. Well, if you are, that's a guy, let me know. want to work there, or not work there. Uh, but typically, you get a job, they want you to work, and, and I have no problem with that. But I also believe in transparency, and I'll say some things up front when I get a job. Okay, here are some lines in the sand, and I'm not going to cross. So when I got hired there, I told them, Sunday morning, I am not working. Period. Not working Sunday morning. Okay, that's not a problem. We got other people going to work Sunday morning. I said, I can work any other shift. Other than day shift because I went to college. But in all the other shifts that, that I was eligible for, I can work. But not working Sunday morning. No problem. It wasn't a problem the first year. It really wasn't a problem even in the first year and a half. But as I started moving up, because they started promoting me, and I got into management, they said to me after a while, after I was in management, and they thought they had their hook in me, they said, well, you know, now that you're a manager, you know, you have to start working Sunday morning because we'll have to, you know, the schedule everyone has to... Share. And I said, when I got hired, I was very clear. I don't work Sunday morning. Well, yeah, but you got hired down here, but now you're up here. I said, yeah, but it's me who's down there, and me who's up here, me didn't work Sunday morning there, and me don't work Sunday morning here. Me don't work Sunday morning. They said, well, I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. You know, here's the policy. Blah blah blah, blah 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 I said, I understand all that. I don't work Sunday morning. Well, we're going to schedule you. I said, I can't stop. I, I don't schedule management. You schedule manager. You schedule however you think you need to schedule. I don't work Sunday morning. What happens if you if we schedule and you don't come in Sunday morning? I said, I don't work Sunday morning. I, 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 I only speak one language. I don't always speak that well, but I speak English. I don't work Sunday morning. I never work Sunday morning there. Now, it's not because I was big and bad. It's because God gave me grace in their eyes. Because they knew any other shift, I was going to work hard. I was going to do my job. I was going to be an honest person. I was going to do exactly what they wanted. And they said, okay, are we going to lose all that over one Sunday morning shift? No. We'll, we'll bite the bullet on that. The Lord is able to give me grace. So what I'm saying is sometimes we fear the world way too much. God can give us grace in the eyes of others if we trust Him. Now, it's going to, again, it's going to require prayer. It's going to require some serious heart-to-heart praying. But the Lord can do this. Through prayer... God can work through others even for our own benefit. Now, we want God to change them. We want God to reach them, but we don't need God for God to change them. God can still work through them regardless of how they think or feel about it. Enduring through our difficulties does not happen because the world accepts God. Enduring through our difficulties happens because we as believers seek God. God in prayer. That's how we endure. We seek God in prayer. So it is God's job to vindicate us. Number two, and I told you it was kind of a, a, a continuation, but, little, but slightly different direction. God can give you grace in the eyes of others. Then there's a number three. Go back with us to our text. So these are encouragements to pray. You got an enemy, you got something that's attacking you, seek the Lord you got a situation where you feel like you're you're helpless, the Lord can give you grace. Seek the Lord. Then there's a third. Luke chapter 18. Look with me at verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now drop down to verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge, avenge them speedily. Now that seems, wait a minute, he bears long with them, but he avenges them speedily. What it means is, it may take a while for it to happen, but when it happens, it happens. God, when God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Nothing's going to stop it. He may take a while to get there because he's doing some other things, but when God is ready to act, but then he says this at the end, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth this trust, this confidence in Him. Really, is that the way we're going to be living? So that brings us to our third application, third encouragement to pray. Number three is this. God has a purpose that we must acknowledge. So let me take a moment to try to help us understand where we're going here. Our prayers, because He said, okay, you may have to pray multiple times because the Lord may be working through other situations and He's not ready to act the way you need to act. Now, when God wants to act, He can do it. He's not, he, nothing stops Him from doing it. But it may, he, he, we, he may bear long with us. It may take a while for, to get to that point because God is working His end. So our prayers must place God's purpose above our own comfort. We seek Him. We don't vindicate ourselves. We seek Him. We seek grace. We seek help. We may have to do it for a while before we get to that conclusion. But if we are consistent in doing it and putting His purpose above what our own personal comfort is at that moment, we can see the Lord come through. But that's what he says. But will He find that kind of faith? Will we actually be praying like that? Now, our example is the Lord Himself. John chapter 12. Here's what Jesus said. This is in Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Deliver me. Don't let me get arrested. Don't let me be crucified. Well, no. Why? But for this cause came I into this hour. God's purpose is more important than my comfort. Matthew 26 and he went a little further, same event, Gethsemane, just looking at it from a different angle. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Now Let me take a moment, because I want to again drive home this point. It is not wrong... To pray for deliverance in our trials. If you're going through a situation and say, Lord, please deliver me. Lord, this is difficult. This is hard. It's, it's, it's just, Lord, just tear me up. There's nothing wrong about praying for deliverance. But we should also always acknowledge that God may want to strengthen us rather than deliver us. He may want to help us endure the trial and not simply end the trial. 2 Corinthians 12 very famous set of verses here. This is Paul going through his own issues. And and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there is given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, that I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it may depart from me." The means is, he got on his face and said, Lord, please, Lord, and he begged, maybe, maybe he prayed all night. And he said, okay, I think the Lord's going to do it. But it still was there. And he prayed again. Maybe he fasted and prayed. And then and the third time, maybe he was crying and praying. He's praying. He's begging the Lord to deliver him. We don't know what this, 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 this situation was, this thorn in the flesh. Something was his health. Something might be been an attack. Something might be been his eyesight. Uh, something it had to do with him because he was beaten so many times. Maybe he was having some, some ramifications of that. Something was going on. And he said, I, I can't serve you, Lord. I just can't do it anymore. This is too much for me. He said, I prayed three times. Verse 9, he said unto me, the Lord, now speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. Here's what the Lord said. Nope. You're keeping it. But I'm going to help you through it. Now, could the Lord have taken away? Of course he could have. But he said, no. I'm leaving it there. But I'm adding grace to make it through. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, here's Paul's response. Most Can you see that word? He has a thorn in the flesh, so much so that he's pleading, he's begging, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. And finally the Lord says, no, it's staying. Now, that word doesn't seem most grudgingly, therefore. That's how we would say, okay, fine, if that's how it's got to be. Paul said, wait a minute, you mean I get more grace I get more strength. You're going to be with me more. Who cares about the thorn in the flesh? I get more of Jesus in my life. That's what he's saying. Most gladly, therefore, where I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He understood a difference, that God had a purpose and a plan for his life, and he said that's more important than my personal comfort, that your, your grace and your power and your, and, and your strength is much more important than this difficulty I'm going through. Now here's the thing, this type of praying, okay, and I'm going to give you a, an, a, a warning, a trigger alert, sarcasm coming in just a moment. This type of praying is not what we usually do. Hence, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, he find faith. Is that really how you're going to handle your problems? That you're going to be glad for the power of God and the grace of God and the strength of God and you're willing to endure whatever it takes because you get Christ and Christ is more important than your comfort. He said, my guess is this, most believers are never going to live this way. Because we, 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 <laughs> sarcasm coming in a moment, offense coming first. We will most, most more have ease than have God's grace. Okay. God's power and grace or an easy life. Well, I can do it, with, do it with that, but man, I want an easy life. He said, that's how most of us are going to live, and I probably won't find that kind of faith when I show up, because that's not how we are. Sarcasm. When we do pray, it's usually about our comfort, our needs met, our problems getting solved, and if God doesn't come through, then we've wasted those 10 seconds of prayer. That's the sarcasm. Lord, here's a problem. Lord, fix it because i got something else I want to do. What are you waiting on, Lord? Come on, get to it. Hop to it, Lord. That's how we treat the Lord. Let me ask us this morning. When God hears our prayers, does it sound like someone rubbing the genie's lamp? Does it sound like someone writing a letter to Santa? Lord, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, and all these and all these and circle this page and Lord, the next ten pages and Lord, I really want all these things in my life because Lord, how much happy I would be if you did everything I want you to do. So when God hears our prayers, does it sound like someone rubbing the genie's lamp, someone writing a letter to Santa? How about someone throwing coins in a wishing well? Well, kind of hope, hope everything turns out all right. Hope she likes me. Hope I get a raise. Lord, just want a good, easy life. What does it sound like when the Lord hears our prayers? Or does it sound like someone who has faith in God and is seeking strength to endure until the end? What does God hear when he hears our prayer? God has a purpose that we must acknowledge in our prayer. We ought to come to Him, and there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, because that's what Paul did. Lord, Paul basically said, Lord, deliver me! Lord, deliver me! Lord, deliver me! Nothing wrong with that. What our problem is this, if the Lord doesn't deliver us, somehow we have an attitude about the Lord. You, you can knock on the door, and you can meet people and say, yeah, I used to go to church, but here's what happened in my life, and I, I can't get over it. Again, I'm not trying to be hard-hearted, but I am trying to be offensive because I'm trying to make us think because we're too settled in our comfort and we don't think really what the Lord is. So let me say this, who cares about your pain? There's a God in heaven who saved you, who's more important about your comfort of the day. So, well, my, 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 um, my third cousin, twice removed, he got a hangnail and, he never, and God wouldn't deliver him, so I hate God. It's about that silly. Well, I didn't get the raise I thought I should have got a raise. Or this didn't happen in my life why I thought it should happen. Because it's all about you, isn't it? And we don't pray acknowledging God. We don't pray and say, Lord, here's my pain, here's my hurt, and there's nothing wrong with telling the Lord what hurts and the pain. There's nothing wrong with pouring out your heart before Him. I suggest you do that. But at the end of the day, you've got to stop and say, but Lord, none of that matters. What matters is that you're my Savior, and you're my God, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to live for you. If nothing works in my life, Lord, I still love you, and I'm still going to follow you. Lord, help me through this. God, that's what he's saying. This is the type of praying that we don't have to fade. We don't have to stop. We don't have to give up. We can make it through because our eyes are upon him and we're trusting and looking to him. That's what Jesus is saying. And he said, when the son of man comes, is he going to kind of find that kind of faith? Probably not. Because nothing's much different in 2024 in America than it's ever been. People live unto themselves. If anything bothers us, then I don't even know. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? The same place he's always been. He's look, he, what he's looking for is some Elijahs who would pray and seek his face. This is the encouragement the Lord's trying to give us. Again, I'm not trying to say that God doesn't care. He cares. He cares more than we know he cares. The problem is, we don't care about anything about ourselves, and that's what gets us in trouble. We don't see the big picture. We don't see there's a God in heaven who's trying to use your problems, your difficulties, your, your trials, your hurts, your pains, and trying to bring you through them so you can have a better testimony, you can be used of God, maybe win more souls, maybe more, more influence on your family, influence on your friends, Be a, maybe a shiny example of God's grace. We don't look at that way. All we look at is this little day right here that we don't like what's going on. The Christian life, now we got to come to an end. The Christian life is designed, on purpose, designed to be lived by finding our strength in God. That's how it's designed to be lived. It's not designed to be lived in your own strength, in your own power, in your own wisdom. It's designed to be lived in His strength, in His power, in His wisdom. The Christian life is designed to be lived by finding our strength in God so that we can endure through the trials and troubles of this life. The reason we fail to endure, again, we fail to endure, not because of the presence of problems, but because of the absence of praying. I guarantee you, believe it or not, but I'm going to tell you, this is, I'm going to guarantee you this is true. Whatever you're going through that's going to make you quit, someone else has gone through it and didn't quit. And the difference wasn't, well, they had it easier. The difference was they prayed and you don't. Praying changes things. Changes events, but mostly it changes you. And you can endure through it. So here's what the Lord said. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. If we're fainting, it's because we're not praying. And if we're praying, it should be for the strength to endure in our Christian life, no matter what comes our way. We're not praying for ease. We're praying for endurance. This is the faith.